Hey, take a moment. We're in our final message on the series Set Free. And we're going to look in uh, Jonah chapter 4. So I'm going to give you a jump start and turn to the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah chapter 4. If you have a device uh, and you're going to look up the copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and type in, you can Google search it, Jonah 4. And if you, if you want, uh, after that, just type in the letters N-I-V. And that's the translation I typically preach from on Sunday morning. So uh, Jonah 4. And I just want to give you um, a little overview of this account of the book of the Bible as you're turning there. So the prophet Jonah... The prophet Jonah uh, lived about 800 years before Jesus Christ was born. So he goes back a ways. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. So he was on the top side. Judah is the southern side. And he finished his ministry um, 30 years before some better known biblical prophets like Isaiah or Micah. So those would have been people that came after him. So Jonah, let's just see if we're together, God called him to go to Nineveh. And so here's a little bit about Nineveh as a city. Um, The meaning of the name of Nineveh is associated with the goddess Ishtar, which was the goddess of fertility, love, war, and sex. So Nineveh was the largest city in the world for a period of time. This was the powerhouse for a while. Um... About over half a century it was. It was the military power of its day. It was known for its intense violence and inhumane treatment of others. Uh, Ironically, uh, Nineveh is written in the Assyrian script, catch this, with with a fish. How how prophetic here. In just a moment we're going to see that. Um, Here's the big question. Is Jonah fact- or is it fable? You know, people wonder and they think, man, what a crazy, crazy account that a man was swallowed up by a great fish. Obviously, that just must be a fable. There must be some, you know, folklore with that. It's just uh, a metaphor to be able to teach us something. And I'd like you to consider a couple things as we think about, is it fact or fable? So number one, um, Jesus affirms the account of Jonah. Here's what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40. If you're following along, uh, you can write it down. Jesus said this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So guess what Jesus thought about Jonah? Jesus said this is a true account. And just like he was in the great fish, I'm going to be in the earth. For three days and that's speaking of his death and burial and then he rose again and all scripture we know is from god it is without error and and i want you to catch a couple things nineveh's original location is in the current site of Mosul, iraq and in Mosul, um, i want you to see here's here's an interesting thing um there in in Mosul is a shrine remaining from the ancient peoples of nineveh and that shrine right there is called Nebi Yunus. Nebi Yunus. And you probably don't know what that means. So I'm going to tell you what it means. It means the prophet Jonah. It's, it is um, found in Iraq. Um, the prophet Jonah, also that area is known as the tomb 
of Jonah. It's believed a whale's tooth appropriate to Jonah's adventure at sea is also said to be preserved there. Now, I don't know if you remember back to 2014 um, when ISIS took over Mosul, Iraq. They ended up uh, destroying many of the shrines there. Here's a picture of Nebi Yunus right now. Um, they, they destroyed this site back in 2014. So I'm going to fast your seatbelt here. I'm going to take you through a quick run of Jonah all the way up to chapter 4. So catch this here with me if you would. First there was a great commission. So God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go. You're a prophet. I want you to preach to the people of Nineveh. And so just as God gave a great commission to us, Jesus gave a great commission to us, I want you to go to the other ends of the earth. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to make disciples. God did the same thing to, to Jonah. I want you to go there. Now, now Nineveh was about um, 400 miles away from where Jonah was in the northern kingdom of Israel. Probably about three to four weeks travel he would have had to do are we on the same page? Jonah was a prophet. Now, if you know the veggie tales, you've already thought in your mind, Jonah was a prophet. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure you're hearing it. You're thinking about it. Jonah was a prophet. He was supposed to tell people about God. He was a messenger of God to people. And guess what Jonah didn't want to do? Like, bro, this is your job. This is your title. You are a prophet to give people God's word. And when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell the message of God to them, he went the other direction. So there was a great commission. Then there was a great retreat. Jonah hated and probably feared the violent people of Nineveh. So he left on a ship going the opposite direction from Nineveh, headed for Tarshish. And so Jonah is a messenger that doesn't want to give out the message to the very people that needed it. He went in the other direction. So there's a great commission, the great retreat, the great storm. So as he's on his retreat, God caused a great storm to uh, come up to overtake the ship. So um, the, the people on the ship are saying, who is to blame for this great storm? And then finally Jonah fesses up, it's me, I'm running from God. Whoop! Over the, the ship he goes into the sea, and the sea's calmed, and then after the great storm was the great fish. So this tremendous fish comes by. It's believed to be some kind of a whale. And when Jonah was sinking to his demise, God caused this great fish to swallow Jonah. And chances are, his experience inside this great fish was nothing like Geppetto in the story of Pinocchio. You remember that? Here's Geppetto. Do we have a pic of Geppetto? Yeah. So here he is in the belly of this whale with all kinds of expanse. There he is on his boat and he's writing and he's penning things to his son and he's even fishing in there. Well, let me just tell you, uh, that's not the case. For Jonah, he was probably squished in there. It was a tight, stinky, 
slimy space with stomach juices, with partly digested fish and algae. It was probably a momentary by momentary struggle to be alive for three days. And let me tell you what Jonah had a lot of time to do. Pray. Guess what you would be doing if you were in the same situation? Pray. So 25% of the book of Jonah is a prayer. God, help me. God, rescue me. Now, if you and I were God, number one, if you and I were God, that's a very scary thing. But if you and I were God, I'm telling you, this is where the book of Jonah would end. God told Jonah, I want you to preach. Jonah says, no, I'm not going to preach. A great storm comes. He gets thrown overboard. The great fish swallows him. End of story. And the moral of the lesson is, you better obey God. That's if I were God and if you were God. But this is the great thing about God. Because here's the great repentance that comes there's the great rescue first the great rescue the fish grabs him the fish ends up spitting him up on dry land after his three-day three-night all-expense-paid cruise to Nineveh and then there's the great repentance so imagine this Jonah's in the in the belly of this great fish Due to the stomach acid and neighboring contents, it's most likely he was bleach white. He was probably, every hair in his body was gone. Certainly, probably every stitch of clothing he had was gone. And then he is barfed up onto this piece of land called Nineveh, whose city's name was signed in Assyrian with the script of a fish. And God got their attention there in Nineveh in a huge way, and the whole city ended up repenting. This is a great repentance. And after all of that, here's number seven, the great lesson. The great lesson. So here's where we land for the remainder of our discussion. And if the story were about disobedience, it would have ended at chapter two. If the story were just about people coming to God, it would have ended at chapter 3. But the story is for us. And that's why there's a chapter 4. Because God wants us to know something significant in our lives that we contend to be like Jonah. So God has a sit-down with Jonah This little heart-to-heart talk in the end of chapter 4. And here's what we need to know about this. Jonah is an account of a great God who rescued a prophet that didn't want to rescue others. It's an account of a great God who rescued a prophet that didn't want to rescue others. And here's the huge lesson of the book of Jonah. It's that God's concerns must be our concerns. The things that God's heart beats for are the things our heart must beat for. And in the end, Jonah's account reveals the big challenge of this reluctant prophet and even us. It wasn't a fear in his ability. He wasn't saying, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I just don't know if I can talk to people publicly. He wasn't fearful of his, obedience, or of his ability. 
His challenge wasn't insecurity with traveling. You know, I'm just not a great traveler. I get seasick. It wasn't cultural differences. It wasn't even a language barrier. Ultimately, the problem was that God was concerned about something entirely different than what Jonah was concerned about. And we're going to find out what was Jonah's concern, what was God's concern, and what should be our concern. So here, look, number one. If you're in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and right now I'm in the book of Hebrews, I need to make some change. Here we go. Chapter 4. Look at verse 5. So after Nineveh repented, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very, very happy about the plant. So finally... Jonah wasn't happy with the commission of God to go to Nineveh. Jonah was not happy with the boat ride. Jonah wasn't happy with the great fish. Jonah wasn't happy with the repentance of the people. But here, Jonah's finally happy. And you see what he's happy about? I get my comfort. Finally, something's going my way. I'm getting some ease in this whole thing. So the big plant was provided by God, so you know there was a lesson that God wanted him to, to learn. And I'm sure he's thinking, finally, after all this time, after the horrible commission, the storm, the fish, the three-day preaching time through Nineveh, dealing with these people I detest, finally something is going my way, and he got to enjoy a little beach time from the city under the comfortable shade of this lovely plant or gourd. But... Then the next morning, God brought a worm along that chewed the plant, and the plant withered and died. And then God brought a scorching heat that cooked Jonah out on the beach so much that he wished he could die. And this is right there in those um, next verses, verses 7 on down. Notice it says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant. It withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And then he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Interesting how quickly the tables turned. And I want to I mention here, the whole chapter 4, the whole account rests on one word, and we're just about to see it. Because the author writes it twice so we can understand this is a significant thing. It's in verse 10 and 11. And God comes to Jonah and he says, here's the big lesson I have for you. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been, and here's the word, concerned. Some translation says you have had pity or you have desired to spare. So this is the big word. I, just, I need to give it to you, the word concerned or pity or spared, this is an action verb, and this is so important because you know, when we show concern right now in our day and age, it's we're on Facebook and someone says, I've had a really bad day, and for us to show concern, what we do to show we really care, right? We take our finger and we go up and we push the hug emoji, and that shows that we really care. 
that's not much action. This word for concern is an action verb, and it means this, to look on with compassion, with action towards sparing. I'm going to do something about this. I need to do something about this. Like, I, I'm not going to let this thing go down. I've got to do something. So here's Jonah concerned about this plant that came up and gave him shade. It was the best thing that has happened to him in a long time. And his concern wasn't, oh boy, I hope so. His concern was, no, 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 no. You are not going down on me. And, and I'm sure he's doing whatever he can. He's watering it trying to figure out how can I get this thing to live? You can't go down. He's probably propping it up. And then he finds out it's a worm. He's like, oh, no, let me get that worm. And he's probably trying to get at it, go to the general store in Nineveh to get some pesticides or whatever. Like, this has got to stop. I can't lose this thing. I'm not letting this go down without a fight. I can't think of myself being here without this plant right now. And no matter what he did to the plant, the plant withered and died, and he got scorched by the strong wind and sun that beat on him. I want to give you an observation. You know what people are concerned about when you see joy from them when it happens, right? You know what people care about when you see joy? Here's the other one. You know what they truly care about also when you see anger when it doesn't happen. I am ticked that this didn't happen. That's where you know what people truly care about. Kind of like this ad in the paper. It said, nice wedding dress for sale, never worn, will trade for 38 caliber pistol. Now, we need to talk about this. Two chapters earlier, Jonah was rescued, wasn't he? Jonah was a dead man. He could do nothing on his own to recover himself. He was a goner. And Jonah was a rescued man by God. And now here he is, a rescued man that didn't have concern for rescuing others. I want to give you some words that Jonah wrote in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 2. Here's what he said. When my life was ebbing away, you catch that? When my life was ebbing away, I was dying I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I'm sure he's just thinking, squished in that fish, like, God, I remember what it was like back in Israel. I remember worshiping you. I remember when I was close to you. Then he goes on, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I'll sacrifice to you. Like, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to worship you, God. What I vowed, I'm going to make good. I will tell them salvation comes from the Lord. This is a rescued man. And here's the big phrase. Jonah 
was a rescued man who cared about rescuing his comfort over people. He was a rescued man that cared about rescuing his comfort over people. Now, all-out confession here, in my 30 years as a pastor, I've never experienced anger from people. Even about, hey, let's take up another offering for missions. I've never heard complaints about, let's, let's do a church work day. Or let's give up a weeknight for a special church function. I, I've never heard about those. Those are personal comforts. I've never heard people complain or argue or get angry. But what comforts do people in church tend to get upset about when they are removed or adjusted? So let's just go there for a moment. Many of you have been in church for a little while. I've been in church for my whole life. Think in your mind for a moment what things church people get angry over. Just think about it. What do church people get angry over? Now, don't tell anyone next to you, okay? Keep it to yourself because you don't want to anger them. You know? What things do people get angry about? Now, okay, you probably have something in your mind. What church people get angry over. And so on the count of three, we're all just going to say it out loud and get it out there in the open, okay? What do church people, the main thing, what do people get angry about? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I got that. I got that. I'm going to tell you the number one thing as a pastor in 30 years I've heard about that people get angry over music. You probably didn't even think about that one, did you? Oh, you did. Okay. Music. Music volume. Musical instruments. I remember my previous ministry. Um, I was in a really re restrictive ministry and there was no drum. I mean, drums were woo. I think I told you about this before. There's a woman in our church named Pearl. And she came up to me and she's like, Pastor, I don't want drums. And so we started out with those, remember those eggs that you shake? So we started out with that. Pearl came up to me and she says, no drums, Pastor. No drums. So we ended up getting a drum set. And on the drum, the name brand of the drum was Pearl. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> Sometimes people get upset about platform, furn or platform furniture, programs, Bible translations. Boy, I've been through that one. Use of technology. Um... Hair length for men, obviously. Um, I, I've heard it all. The timing of the service, how you do communion. You know, I've heard of paint colors and decorations and you can't do this and you can't do that. I've, I, I've heard of all of it. I've seen churches split over... All of these things, music, volume, dress, instruments, programs, and many things a whole lot significant than those. And I will tell you, in my 30 years, the thing that pastors need to say more than ever is people who have flexed, I need to say thank you. 
I know these aren't the easiest things for some people to say, I'm going to flex and yield. But thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for those who transitioned from a church culture that I knew and loved to say, you know what, we need to reach new believers and at-risk believers. Thank you for doing that. But here's the big deal. When rescued people have become more passionate about rescuing their comforts and preferences than they are about rescuing people, they are Jonah. I've been Jonah. I have. And if we all bowed our head and closed our eyes, huh? no one looking around, we've all been Jonah, haven't we? We've all been Jonah. I'm concerned about rescuing what I like, rescuing things the way I want them. And I've forgotten that there are people that are vulnerable. There are new believers. There are at-risk believers. There's a next generation of believers that we need to think about. And I'll confess, I've never been in a church service that people have gotten angry that we're not reaching people for Jesus. I've never been there. I've never been in a business meeting at church where people say, Pastor, I'm so upset that we're not reaching people. It's never come up, ever. But what does come up are all the other things. This is what I'm upset about. Well, I'm having fun with it. I remember when I was in my previous ministry in New York, um, there was a church about 20 miles away. And I'm telling you, of course, when we got Pearl up front on the stage, we were the subject matter of other churches' sermons. And this one pastor, um, because someone went to his church and came and told me, he said, he was preaching about you today. Yeah, I know. And he said, um, and that preacher, he said, he got up and he told people this church, and he goes in, and he says, I got a recording of their music, and it sounded just like I was in a nightclub. And I wanted to ask him, how do you know what it sounds like in a nightclub? So while Jonah was mad about his comfort being tampered with, don't touch my comfort. I'm going to do everything I can to rescue my comfort. What was God concerned about? What was God concerned about? Look at the next verse. So verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. You were doing everything you could to rescue this plant. Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But you were all about the plant. And here's God's concern, verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God was concerned about people that were without him. Jonah, you had concern for the plant. Shouldn't I have concern for the city where there's people that are going to die without me? 
And I'm going to tell you, you know, Jonah tended the plant. He tried to keep it alive. This is how God showed his concern. He was so concerned for Nineveh, he tapped a prophet from over 400 miles away, a two- to three-week journey. He pursued him while he was running away from God. The demise of Nineveh mattered so much to God that he had a great fish timed perfectly to scoop up this prophet to take him on this three-day journey to Nineveh to be able to tell people about God. And many think this book is about a rebellious prophet. It's not. It's really about a loving God who is always on mission. He's always on mission. He will do just about anything to reach even the most difficult of people because he loves them so much. Friends, that's what the story's about. It's about God who rescues people. He rescues them. Whether it be a wayward prophet, whether it be a wayward people. And this really shouldn't surprise us because guess what Jesus did? Jesus left heaven. He left perfection. He left worship. He put on confining and limiting flesh. He was ridiculed. He was betrayed. He was tortured. He was killed to bear our sin. And it sure sounds like Jesus loved us more than his comfort. Amen? You with me on this? He loved us more than his comfort. And God wasn't concerned with his own comfort in accomplishing the mission. I can assure you he's not very concerned with our comfort either over the mission. So what do we take away today? I'm going to give you just a few things. Write these down, would you please? What do we take away with us today? Number one, we need to remind each other of what matters most. Remind each other of what matters most. Remember these, please. Remind each other of what matters most because you're going to have people speak in your ear and say, you know what? You know what I want around that place? You know what we need to do? You know what we need to get back? You know how things need to be? It's going to take each of us to speak to that person and say, do you really think that matters to God? Do you really think that matters to God? You go back to the book of Jonah and say, I I know you may want your gourd. God wants to reach his people. How quickly we forget. Most of our time and attention gets wrapped up in things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And we need to remind each other. We need to be reminded. Here's number two. Be the vote for those who can't. Be the vote for those who can't. You know, oftentimes in church, it's the members They get to vote on things that they want. And if Jonah, the believer in this account, voted, guess what his vote would have been? We know how he would have voted about the Ninevites. Nay. I vote nay. However, Guess how his vote would have been for the new gourd-planting ministry he wanted to start? Yay, I vote in the affirmative, gourd-planting ministry. Churches can become special interest groups that focus on catering to the concerns of those on the inside only. This is how I want it. When we do that, we can quickly become 
a variety show because I need to please you and I need to please you and I need to please you and I need to please you. I need to please all the people that give because they want to see things a certain way. And in reality, I remember Pearl telling me, remember who voted you in. Remember who voted you in. And a challenge with church is that it can consume itself with catering to the preferences of those who are not thinking about rescuing others. And we create a centrifugal force of sorts that revolves around the core and resists and repels or becomes less concerned with those who are newer believers or at-risk believers. Here's number three. So we remind each other what matters most. We are the vote for those who can't. Beware of comfort talk. Beware of comfort talk. A distinguishing feature of church should that we, we do uncomfortable things to connect with newer believers or at-risk believers with an eye toward those who are without God. Watch out for the trap of comfort talk. Well, what do you want? Well, how would you want church to be? If you're rescued, encourage others to think about removing our comforts from the dialogue so as to do what Jesus did for us, who gave it all up for us, gave success based upon sacrifice for the mission of what concerns God rather than success being things going the way I want and enjoy my gourd on Sunday morning. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Here's the last one. Be willing to lose some comforts. It's one thing to say it, but be willing to lose some comforts. Bust your comfort zone. And where does your comfort zone surround you? Maybe it's, I, I just can't talk to anybody. You expect me to go over that person? I don't even like them. Bust your comfort zone. Be Jesus to others. Don't just think, you know, the church needs a program to reach its community. It, we have one. It's called you. And it's called me. Bust the zone. Be ready and willing to sacrifice our comfort, our preferences, for those who need to be rescued or who are newly rescued. Here's the interesting thing about Jonah. It ends and we don't know what happened. It doesn't record anything beyond that. Did, did Jonah ever care about the Ninevites? Did his heart change just like the Ninevites? Did he repent? Did he care about the lost and new believers? Did maybe he connect with people on his way back to Israel? I mean, we have no idea what happened to Jonah, but we do know what happens with us. We do know what happens for rescued people here. And I would love for us to be scared by some people concerned that we're losing the next generation and people say, let's not worry about the gourd. Let's worry about those that need God. Let's worry about those that need God. Because here's the big phrase, and I finish with this. Rescued people rescue others. 
Rescued people rescue others. I say it this way, set free. It's who we are and it's what we do. It's who we are and it's what we do. God, this is a lesson for me, for all, for your church today, for those that realize we look at us and we're Jonas, we're Jonas. And so today, as we've already celebrated around the Lord's table, thank you, God, for rescuing us, for sending Jesus, who gave it all up for people that had the greatest problems. You're the great rescuer. And God, forgive us for at times being concerned about the gourd over others, for wanting to preserve rather than push, for those that think about the museum rather than the mission. God, like, pour your passion in our hearts, Lord, please. May we as a people and as individuals shed the sinful thoughts and the selfish thoughts of Jonah's. And God, just say it's all out for the mission. It's all out for what you want to do in hitting, connecting with new believers and those that are at risk. We pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen.